Today on CityCast DC, yet another development in the saga that is Dan Snyder's life, and also ours, because might we never talk about him again? That is the tantalizing hint in some of the reporting this week, which is that he and his wife, Tanya, are officially considering selling the Commander's football team, or at least exploring all options. I'm here with lead producer Priyanka Tilvey and audio producer Julia Karen to chat about that, DC police failures, and Taylor Swift's snub to the city. Today is Friday, November 4th, 2022. I'm Michael Schaefer, and this is CityCast DC. Julia Karen, you are our in-house sports person, the host of Julia's Sports Corner. Daniel Snyder's <laughs> stories are, of course, bigger than just sports because they are about who this region is and about a favorite villain of the region, among other things. But why don't you tell us what's happening? All right. So Forbes snagged an exclusive saying that Dan and Tanya Snyder had consulted with Bank of America Securities to look into selling the team. I would preface this by saying don't plan the parade yet. Don't get your stuff ready for Constitution Avenue or Independence Avenue or anything yet. They're just exploring it. According to Forbes, the Snyders have apparently fielded four calls from people who might be interested in purchasing the team. Some of the possible transactions might include a full sale of the team or a minority stake position for someone else. I'm a little wary on the minority stake position because it also came out on Wednesday that the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of Virginia is opening a criminal investigation into the commanders over financial improprieties. So if you are looking for a minority stake in the commanders, I don't know that that's going to happen anymore. Currently, Forbes lists the team as worth $5.6 billion. Sports Illustrated says it could reach up to $7 billion. And if you're looking for potential owners for the team, Jeff Bezos, who has become a mainstay here, might be a new owner. Again, do not plan the parade yet. But... It maybe looks like it's happening. <laughs> well, okay, let's hold our horses. The funny thing about what you just said about the minority stake thing, I saw a tweet from Robert Griffin III about considering joining the team. I know that he's a footballer, but Julia, give a little bit more context about who this guy is. Yeah, so Robert Griffin III, RG3, was supposed to be like the savior of the then Redskins. He was drafted out of Baylor. He was a quarterback. He could run. He could throw. He could do everything. And then some people argue through mismanagement. Some people argue through hitting his ceiling and injuries. He got injured and he, you know, faded out of the league. He was with some fanfare a little more than a year ago. It was announced RG3 is writing a book that was going to focus on how rotten his experience oh, yeah. in Washington was, how terribly he's treated. Then all of a sudden, no more book. And he's like a uh, charming NFL broadcaster. Yeah. And there are people who suggest there may be some connection between those two things. Anyway, he tweeted that he would he was like, if I can get a group of friends together, we'll buy this team together. I don't know what kind of friends he's hanging out with. But <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> my friends don't have that kind of money. I think in general, minority ownership in the NFL, and particularly with Daniel Snyder, is like a weird thing, right? You park, you know, $2 billion of your money or something in the commanders. You have no actual control over them. Maybe you get like a nice box seats or, or something. But the reason one might do that, in addition to being able to say like, well, I'm a part owner of the local football team, 
is because the value of these things just tends to just go up and up and up. But with the commanders, one of the one of the sort of more prosaic problems, because everyone focuses on the like racy allegations and the shocking stuff. One of the more prosaic problems is they have been considered uh, financial underperformers. They're still considered like the sixth most valuable team in the league. But given the wealth of this region, the fact that they have a pretty lousy attendance, pretty, pretty lousy gate, and have not been able to finagle local taxpayers to build a stadium for them someplace, a new stadium that's more could rake in more money. It kind of has, since these NFL owners share uh, uh, their revenues, mm -hmm. uh, this has the rest of them annoyed at the team's management in a way that they wouldn't have to be if they weren't sharing revenues. So it's convenient yeah. that you mentioned the stadium aspect, because one of the reasons that they might look into this is because, well, would DC give the commander's land back near the old RFK site if Dan Snyder weren't the owner to build a new stadium, thereby making more money? And you can kind of see the trickle-down effect of that. Again, I don't know that that will magically make the Commanders become DC's number one team again. I think they would maybe have to win another championship to do that. Or at least get close. You know, make the playoffs. Yeah, that'd win, be nice. Win one playoff round, maybe two. And, you know, this this question of, like, the city, I mean, I can't stress this enough, it, how dominant a cultural thing yeah. it was, the support of the football team. It was all the cliches are true, you know, like the elevator operator and mm -hmm. the senator could talk about it together on the way up. Reagan gave, like, literally gave the whole federal government a couple hours off to go to the parade when they won mm -hmm. the Super Bowl one time. And this was Reagan, not a you yeah. know, pal of the federal workforce. <laughs> yeah. That's gone and a lot of it has to do with the mediocrity and the kind of tawdriness yeah. of the cider years, but not all of it. You know, we are in uh, the technology has changed quite a bit. It used to be you would move to Washington from, you know, San Diego or Kansas City or something, and you would almost by necessity switch your football loyalties because you couldn't follow your home team from here. And nowadays, there's the Sunday ticket. There's this thing called the internet that lets you go read local coverage everywhere. What's that? It's changed. And <laughs> so you can retain your fanhood to wherever. You can, in fact, induct your children into that fanhood. You can do all this sort of stuff. And you don't have to support the local team wherever you are. And that, you know, that's a sort of a cultural change in the country. And it's one that I think is going to affect, you know, whoever comes to control the commanders. Because it is a place with a degree of transience here in, in Washington. And it's been very convenient to like blame Daniel Snyder for all this. I don't think it's probably 100% true. I also think, let's say the most sympathetic owner in the world, the most popular figure you can think of comes to buy the team. This question of whether taxpayers ought to be paying the service on bonds for 30 years to build a stadium that is going to have eight games a year or nine games a year that have almost un unaffordable ticket prices. Like that's actually a legit thing, whether or not the owner is super unpopular. Because of Snyder's unpopularity, it's kind of given the politicians an easy out, you know, like, oh, we don't want to give money to that guy. But this right. other question of like, should you give money to any guy in that circumstance? That's a question they've had to dodge and they may suddenly have to uh, engage with it again. Hey, it's currently a hypothetical at this point, but if it happens, DC taxpayers, would you want to pay money for a new stadium in downtown D.C. and get the government to give you land for it? Please tell us. We would love to know. I personally say no, but <laughs> just 
You asked and I'm telling. I mean, let's talk about like who could possibly buy this too, you know? I mean, we talk about this Snyder situation as if it's a comedy and in a lot of ways it's a tragedy. I mean, the actual allegations aside, which are tragic, but he is a local figure. And when you look at all these lists that people are compiling of who could potentially buy up the team next, there are no locals on these lists. It's like Bezos is at the top of every single one. And then it's a bunch of other people who own other teams, none of which are local, obviously. Um, we've got like Sixers owner, Josh Harris. We've got the owner of the Celtics. We've got Dodgers owner, uh, owners, Mark Walter and Todd Bowley. Like it's, it, these are all people from elsewhere in the country, right? And it's kind of sad that it wouldn't be staying local. Um, not that I'm saying I'd prefer for Dan Snyder to stay on. Definitely not. But it's just uh, a little heartbreaking in that sense. And I'm really glad you said that, because I think the thing with Snyder, uh, you know, and, and he's he's, you know, a little older than me. But I kind of as like a person who grew up here in the glory days of this team, I sort of recognize it, that he's a fanboy, mm -hmm. you know, and and that didn't that has not served him well as owner. I mean, you get the sense he like wants to hang out with these players you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and like throw his weight around and stuff. But he loved this team and always wanted to be its owner. And it seems to me he's done a pretty lousy job with it. But there is something nice about somebody who is uh, homegrown and a, a genuine uh, fan, not just someone who sees this as a, a either a good investment or a way of like making themselves a VIP in the capital of the country. So then quick question, like in a dream perfect world, like which DC human would you want to own the commanders? Regardless of price tag, who would we want? Julia Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, why don't, why don't uh, you two buy it together? Mike Schaefer, Julia Karen, DC locals, buy up the commanders. I'll just fish that sweet $7 billion paycheck that CityCast is paying me and fork <laughs> it right on over. You got it. All right, let's go to something a lot closer to the ground and something that's gotten a lot less attention, but is actually a big deal. It's been in the news this week, the bigger picture about this. There's been reporting, particularly in the Washington Post, about how this week the U.S. attorney apparently has dropped a bunch of gun charges on people in the 7th Police District because of police officers in that district having improperly seized the guns, having de delivered descriptions of these seizures that are at odds with what was on the body camera footage and have otherwise not maybe appeared to be like first-rate policing. This follows reports from about a month ago. The police chief announced that a couple of people, a couple of officers had been suspended. And it's kind of like, you know, what was apparently happening was the guns were seized. The people weren't arrested. What happened? Why not? Are we to believe the reports of the seizure? Are they things that would hold up in court? The U.S. Attorney's Office apparently decided not. And it's kind of like this is what happens with like even minor policing screw ups that they lead to two really bad things. One is charges going away that might have been legitimate and helped keep people packing guns off the street. The other is obviously this corrosive effect on a public trust. Mm -hmm. The Fraternal Order of Police, which is the union, which 
protects its officers, had made a statement that was pretty incendiary too, saying this is the U.S. attorney trying to avoid prosecuting crime. And it was a sort of a a Trumpy kind of argument that they're going to make things more dangerous by not prosecuting this. And they want to, I mean, it was sort of hinting without saying that this was a bunch of, of woke softness. I I don't... That they shouldn't be following procedure and forget the fact that these guns were seized illegally. We should push, we should prosecute for them anyway. That's basically their argument. Yeah. And like, look, it's not clear they were seized illegally, but there was enough like sort of procedural badness about the thing that, I mean, I don't know, most like prosecutors I've met, they're pretty competitive people. They don't want to bring cases that are going to lose. Sure. And so if you're law enforcement and you're doing things that is going to make it impossible to convict someone in court, that's not a successful approach to the job. In addition to, again, this sort of corrosive effect on on public trust. Right. So this is all against the backdrop of a city where crime for the first time in decades is going up, mm-hmm. where that sense of unsafety is seeped into local politics. I think a lot of people, particularly on the left, and tend to discount this sort of thing because it is so often like these alarms about rising crime are so often raised by people in kind of bad faith mm-hmm. trying to scapegoat. But the fact is, it is a thing people are aware of and anxious about and makes people less feel less safe in their city when it's combined with apparently some cases of poor policing that have led to maybe people not being prosecuted or, or so on. It's just sort of a sad comment on the moment. Yeah. Well, I got to ask, Mike, I mean, you've obviously been reporting on local news for a while. Did this surprise you at all when you read that this was happening? Not really. There's something more to it that has not come out, and I don't quite know what that something is. Mm -hmm. Policing, it's hard work. There's like a bunch of like rules and procedures to be followed. It's you're dealing with humans. You're dealing with sometimes dangerous situations, imperfect ones. This unit in question is called a crime suppression unit. So they're like liberated from having to do regular like response to calls and out there in areas that are particularly afflicted by crime trying to sort of intervene before it happens. And I can imagine a situation where you think like, let me just get the dang gun out of this guy's hand Mm -hmm. before anything else. You know, I can imagine that, but the end result is maybe cases going away, maybe people having even less trust in the police, which is you know not exactly high to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an illustration of how sort of maybe let's even stipulate these were minor screw ups. They might not have been. I don't know. But like how failing to follow regulations and procedures can have this sort of knock on effect that is pretty corrosive. Yeah. I mean, my big question, I think, for you, because I'm not as familiar with this, is like what happens next? Like, how do you restore trust from the public in this specific unit? How can this unit do its job in a safe and decent manner? You know, what happens after this? I think you just restore trust by doing things well, consistently, where people notice it. And it just takes trust is a weird thing. You can lose it in a second, but you, you can't really build it in a second. Yeah. And this isn't the only time they've lost it in the past month, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there was also that story in early October where the auditor's office came out and said that a bunch of police that had been fired over the past few years were rehired. 36 fired cops, I believe, were rehired and given back pay. And a lot of people were upset about that, too. So this is like just not a good month for for trust in the D.C. police. I mean, look, D.C. has had if you think of where we've been as a city, D.C. has undergone this tremendous and wrenching demographic change. 
that has made a lot of people feel alien in their own hometown. It is obviously a place of tremendous economic inequality. Now we're in a time of heightened fear of crime, and that's not irrational fear of crime. It's gone up. And yet there's been no major sort of, there's, we haven't had like a Ferguson-like incident here. Sometimes I think, well, that's just dumb luck, you know, because you can imagine, you know, one of these days in D.C. when it's like 138 degrees and like, you know, someone does something stupid and someone says something stupid and someone loses their temper and, you know, all of a sudden you've got a, an incident. But maybe it also speaks to having a police force that is superior to some of the kind of podunky Ferguson, Missouri police forces, better trained, better led, et cetera. You know, what you see an incident like this, and on the one hand, it, it kind of argues for the dumb luck argument that we've just, we've dodged a bullet. On the other hand, leadership has reacted pretty swiftly. I wish I could say, like, I've got an answer mm -hmm. there, but I think all of us in, the, in this country have become a little more aware of how precarious everything is, precarious public safety is, precarious public faith in one another are. So true. Um, and this is another yeah. reminder of that, I think. Mm. Yeah. So uh, topic three, we try to do something a little more fun for uh, a third topic, but this is no fun at all, <laughs> at least if you are, say, my children, who have learned that the upcoming Taylor Swift tour will not include a DMV stop. The closest she's coming is Philly. People are pissed. And in fact, one of the targets, just to bring this thing full circle, one of the reasons, one of the people people are blaming, I'm not even sure if it's right or not, <laughs> is Daniel Snyder, who owns the stadium, FedEx Field, not Nats Park. It's generally considered not a great place. And could that be the reason? I, I don't know. What do you all think? I mean, I would love if someone would ask Taylor Swift if she knows who Dan Snyder is, and I'm going to bet that that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not even just that she snubbed D.C. Like, she snubbed Baltimore. Like, M&T Bank Stadium holds more people than FedEx Field, I'm pretty sure. It holds, like, mm. 71,000 people, and she didn't even include a stop there. At this rate, Taylor Swift, would you like to own the Commanders so you can bring your tour to the D.C. metro area? Please consider our offer. Please do. <laughs> not bad suggestion. The best thing about this, like I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan, so I wasn't particularly hurt by this, which means that I was able to enjoy the Twitter <laughs> like freak out that happened with just pure joy and, and no sadness. Martin Astromiel had a really, really funny thread. Uh, it was like, if DC had a tabloid newspaper, then these are the headlines we'd see. And he roped in three Taylor Swift song titles into every single one of these headlines. So like one of them was Swift Boated, Bad Blood as Taylor Tour has blank space for DC. <laughs> so that's Bad Blood and Blank Space are both Taylor Swift songs. Then he went on, Taylor Swift, DC's anti-hero. Oh After my God. tour snub, she tells City to shake it off. Don't blame me, says Swift, as DC's wildest dreams of Taylor Tour stop or crush. <laughs> like, he just kept going. It was very impressive. To be fair, if I could come up with one, it'd be, like, DC residents seeing red, maybe on some vigilante shit after snubbed by Taylor Swift. Oh, hey, you're pretty good at this. You want to keep going? I can try. <laughs> no, I can't keep going. I'm not that much of a fan. But I'm, I'm sure a bunch of my, like, friends and colleagues will also be, like, very on top of this. But Taylor, please come back to the DMV. Come to Nats no, Park. No, we are never getting back together. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike wins. Mike wins. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast DC. I'm lead producer Priyanka Tilve. I'm audio producer Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman, and our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, 
Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. We're going to be putting together an episode about the annual turkey pardon at Thanksgiving. So if you've got turkey questions, and we know you do, email us at dc at citycast.fm. We'll be back on Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Guys, I'm schwitzing so hard. They turned the radiator heat on. Finally. Finally. And like now it's 70 degrees outside. I'm so sweaty. My apartment is always <laughs> boiling. Oh, my God. And I always I, I keep my window open all day and all night. And so I am also what was the word you used? Schwitzing. Schwitzing. I am schwitzing. also schwitzing. S- sprinkle a little Yiddish in there for all you <laughs> sweet, sweet Yiddish people around the DMV. We know you love to see it. <laughs>